Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast brought to you by DraftKings. NBA playoffs in full gear. New customers only. You put down five bucks, get $150 in free plays if you just bet on that series. That game, that simple, that easy. All right. Now, joined by Arizona basketball royalty in many different ways, Mr. Harvey Mason Jr. Hello, Harvey. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Mike. You just showed me in a tux there. I don't know if that's basketball roads he's like who's this dude in a, in a clown suit over here <laughs> oh no well we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that but uh before we get to some hoops and then some entertainment what's just an average day like for harvey mason jr wow well it always starts with a workout i've been uh trying to stay in shape my whole life you know ever since playing in college you know that gave me the first taste of actually high school and then college the training and the regimen that it takes to, to be in shape. So I always work out, start with a, a full stretch, full workout. Uh, then we start doing phone calls, meetings, Zooms, going over budgets, emails, working with my staff on preparing for the day. Uh, and then I'm usually in the afternoon, I start making some music, working on some of my film projects. Uh, so right now I'm really juggling two kind of jobs between running the recording academy the grammy organization and then running uh, my company harvey mason media so it's a it's a heavy juggle for my time between those two jobs right all right let's talk a little bit of u of a hoops then and we'll circle back to that so you obviously played 88 it might be the best team in pro a school history it might not but it's certainly the most beloved team there's no doubt about that you were on that team um let's let's start though with lute olsen you're getting recruited to play at the University of Arizona. Tell me through kind of just your recruitment process and how everything went there and what made you decide you wanted to become a Wildcat? Well, it was a very tough decision. In fact, originally I thought I wanted to go to Stanford and that was one of my schools that was my final couple choices. I visited Stanford. I really loved it. And then my dad ultimately told me, he said, you can't, commit anywhere until you fulfill your obligation to all the schools that you told you'd visit. And right. the only one that was left was Arizona. So before I could commit to Stanford, I had to meet with Coach Olson. I had to go on campus. So what ended up happening, and I had you know quite a few scholarship offers. I think 60 or 70 schools were recruiting me at the time. And I went to Tucson, and I loved my hosts. You know, when you go on a recruiting visit, you have yeah. hosts. And my two hosts were... Uh, Sean Elliott and and Anthony Cook. Wow, they're so they're bringing out the big they're bringing out the big dogs there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was it was a lot of fun, and they were still young enough. I think they were maybe freshmen, but mm-hmm. they knew the campus, and Sean knew everybody, and everybody knew Sean, and so we had an incredible visit. So I love my visit. I love the the players on the team because you really spend a lot of time with the players when you do a visit. And then my mom loved Luke, so right. it was a very perfect formula for me to go to Arizona and my parents were very comfortable. I was very comfortable and it was the best decision ever. Did you know going in, well, at what point did you know that you were part, you were part of a team a part of a special program there because Arizona basketball, when you got there, it was on the, you know, it was on the upward ascendancy, but it wasn't what it became. Was there a point, you know, maybe before 87, 88, or was it during that where you're like, man, this is something special we got here. I'll tell you exactly because you know I signed as a junior, Mike, and back then you could sign when you were a junior in high school. So I was in the early signing period. And before I signed was when I realized I was going to be a part of something special. And I'll tell you exactly what it was. It's probably a too long of a story for, for your broadcast. Oh, no, you, you, dude, you got the floor of a man. Uh, 
So I was a junior in high school deciding where to where to go. And we went to the Pac, it might have been the Pac-10 tournament if there was such a thing. I'm not sure. It was. Yeah, I think it was actually the Pac-10 championship game. Arizona was vying for something. They were in a very important position where if they won, they would have gotten something. I don't remember if it was the tournament champion or just the league championship. Anyways, it was at UCLA, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Coach Olsen benched two or maybe three of his starters because they missed curfew. Right. And I was at the game and I was like, what's going on? Why, why isn't, you know, Pete playing Eddie and all these guys, why aren't they playing? And we never knew until after the game. And one of the coaches told us, you know, coach Olson, he doesn't, he doesn't bend the rules for anyone. And he runs the program like it's a family and you have to be accountable for your actions. And it's not just about X's and O's and about winning. It's about doing things the right way and being excellent at everything you do. And so I started hearing that and I, I was so shocked. I'd never experienced anything like that and even heard of a program being run like that with that much honor and dignity and the class level of what coach Olson was doing. And at that point I was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be amazing. If if we follow this leader, we'll do huge things. And so that was the initial, uh, the first time that I think I felt like this is something really, really special. So you look at the roster that you played with. Obviously, we're going to get into yourself. You got Sean Elliott. Obviously, the term the GOAT's always thrown around. I mean, you look at Arizona basketball, that's the GOAT right there. You got <laughs> you got Steve Kerr, obviously, goes on to win rings. Wherever he goes, he wins. Kenny Lofton, you could make the cases. Uh, I, I feel that he should be in the uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Best leadoff yeah. hitter best leadoff hitter of the 90s. Then you got guys like AC, you got guys like Tom Tolbert. Later on you got beat up. Where did you know that man, this is a this isn't just basketball guys here. This is a unique group of people I'm around. Yeah, you felt that right away. And the unique thing and I'm sure you've been told this story before, but as a program we would vote on our recruits. Right. Have you heard that story before? I'm sure. I have you. not heard this story. No. Okay, so every recruit, like I came in on a visit with Sean and Anthony, I had to be voted onto the team by the team. So okay. you're doing a visit, it's really an audition. Right. You don't know that because you think as the recruit, I'm auditioning Arizona and I'm seeing if I want to come here. At the right. same time, they're seeing if they want you to be there. And I remember once I was at Arizona, recruits would come in and a couple of them said, no, we don't, we don't feel like that person fits in with us. And the coaches would be angry because they were such a great basketball player. Right. The policy was always, if it's not personally fitting, doesn't matter how good they are, we're not going to incorporate them into our, you know, our ecosystem. So I think a lot of it was based around coaches propensity to recruit good people as well as good players. And a lot of that was because Bobby had a, a hand in the recruiting, actually. She For would sure. have over to the house and make you apple pancakes. And she'd say, Oh, I like that guy. He's got a good heart. And those are the type of people coach coach recruited. And I think that's one of the reasons that we were a great team was because it wasn't just the basketball that was being measured on your recruiting visit. It was how would you fit in? How do you collaborate? What's your disposition? And all these things went into making a great team. Okay, so I want to play a little clip of Wild Wild About the Cats, which I think that you probably know a little bit bit something about right here. We're the Cats. We play out west. And we're working hard to be our best. Ask anyone and you will find. We don't do drugs and wreck your mind. W-I-L-D. Cats. W-I-L-D. Wildcats. 
You were around music your entire life growing growing up. Obviously, your your dad a musician. How much of that uh, did you have to call in for that video right there? Uh, you know, I, I, I took a couple days. We worked with a, a local radio DJ. I wrote the music. He wrote the lyrics. We got in the studio. So it was it was a lot of fun. It was a great project. You know, when I was in college, I was always making music. I had a keyboard in my dorm room. I had a little computer set up. So it was just part of what I did on a day-to-day basis. So that song, uh, it didn't take a ton of time, but it was something that was a lot of fun. And I get teased a lot about it still. And all the different guys on the team will say their lines every once in a while. So it's a, a great memory. All right. So let's go back to 87, 88. You guys are going into the Elite Eight and you're playing North Carolina. And this game is, it, it turns out to be a blowout. And at that point, I think, well, people knew how good you guys were, I think. But I think at that point, that's where the national media was really like, whoa, because you just didn't see Dean Smith's teams get losing games by 20 points or whatever. When you guys got onto the court, did you know that, man, we know they're North Carolina, but we're a lot better than they are? It had been in the making for two years. My freshman year, we got beat up by a lot of powerhouses, you know, Georgetown at Georgetown and some other big schools like that. I remember just getting our butts kicked and coach Olson was such a good coach. I guess it still stuns me to think about how he handled it, how he played the long game because he said to us when we were getting beat up in 86 and 87 by some of those, he said, this is part of the journey. He said, this is part of what you need to understand to get to the next level. And he always talked about the next level. He said, we're a good team, but if we want to get to the next level, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And so in 88, we were very confident. We weren't overly confident because Coach Olson never allowed that. And he was right. always a humility to his teams while he was coaching. Right. Uh, but we knew we had done the work. We had competed with some of those schools. We had right. experienced what big-time basketball was like. So actually, in 88, if you remember, it started out at the Alaskan shootout. Yep. We played, I believe, Michigan and some other really good teams that in previous years we might not have been able to withstand. And they were aggressive and they were fast and they were, you know, pretty mean kids. You know, they were talking right. a lot. Not, and we were just like, oh, what's going on here? But by 88 – we were like, okay, we know what's going on, and we know exactly how to deal with it. All right, so you got 87 and 88, 7, 88, 88, 89, both years. You, you got pre, you're, you're ranked number one during the season. You common denominator, Harvey Mason, Sean Elliott. So let me, ask, let me ask you this. Which team, in your opinion, when you look back, obviously one makes the final four, the other one gets tripped up against UNLV, but which one do you look at and say, that that's the one or is it they're both like it's kind of like looking at your kids you're both like i love both of them no i think the 88 team i mean they were both very special teams in 89 i think we would have won the whole thing we had a weird situation at the end kenny lofton took a charge right. didn't call i mean we should have won that game no excuses though but 88 we had steve kerr 89 we didn't have steve kerr right. you know, and steve was a freaking winner and right. he was the guy you want on your team at all times. So right. if there was a team that was positioned to win, I would say both of them. But I think 88, I would have been really happy for us to have won a championship because, you know, he was a special guy. Craig McMillan as well. He just yeah. like these guys were unique players, unique guys. You know, it's funny because we're all still in touch. We're still all friends. Right. Uh, so I, I, either of those teams would have been – I would have been very happy, obviously, to have won. But the 88 team had a really special chemistry. The other thing you don't talk about too much on the 88 team was the bench. You know, right. 
89 team, I was a, I was starting along with Matt and some of the other guys. But in 88, the bench was possibly, you know, the second or third best team in the Pac-10 that league. For that, sure. You get For rid sure. of the starters. So the well-roundedness of that team and all the different – all the different positives from every position, from every person on that 88 team makes me think that, that was just a really special, special group of guys. What was it like playing with Sean Elliott? It was awesome. It was so fun. Every day you'd see something, you'd just shake your head. But, you know, that's not just Sean. That was a lot of players that, that I played right. with. I was lucky enough to play with. Every day Steve Kerr would make me shake my head. I'd be like, God dang, what did he right. just do? Because right. he wasn't fast. He couldn't jump. He was not athletic, but he was so good. He was one of the best basketball players I've ever seen. Just court awareness, smarts, how he was efficient with his movements, and, of course, how he shot. But Sean was freaky because he could run, he could jump, he could dribble, he could fly through the air. And he was a big guy. He was, you know, solid 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, so you hadn't seen a lot of players at that point in my career that were that size that could do those things. So he was special. Brian Williams was a freak of nature. You know, I want to talk. Let's talk about Brian for a second, because I don't know that there's ever going to be a better musician background on any team. When you got Brian Williams, obviously fathers on the platters, you yourself, did you guys, did you, were you able to bond over some music backgrounds? Because that's a pretty unique connection you guys both had. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did. In fact, when Brian first came to Arizona, I believe he transferred from Maryland. I stayed in Tucson the summers to work out and to, you know, kind of try and, make up some ground and so i was one of the only players there that summer that he came and so coach olsen said harvey do me a favor room with brian he's new on campus he's going to come out for the summer so brian and i roomed together the first day he got on campus so he had a trumpet he used to walk around our our apartment playing trumpet we'd always <laughs> see that <laughs> see his dad play when he would come into yeah. town we'd go see my dad play so yeah we definitely bonded around music and he was just a great Great guy, big heart, and a gentle soul, but athletically, he was freaky. All right, let's talk about then post-career. So you've uh, you've worked with almost, I mean, you've worked with Michael Jackson. You've worked with Whitney Houston. You know, you work with Dr. Dre, Justin Timberlake. How did you, you, you graduate from the U of A. What was your next step then? Did you always know that, man, all right, this is what I want to pursue? How did that, how did that all occur? No, I wanted to play basketball. I really had my heart set on having a professional career, whether that was in the NBA or going overseas. You know, all of my buddies were all playing in the NBA. Right. Everybody on our team played in the NBA. Uh, but I tore my ACL my senior year, halfway right. through the year, and I didn't feel like I was destined for the NBA. So I started getting into music. I was always a songwriter. Like I said, I had a keyboard in my dorm. Uh, so I just started writing a lot of songs, and I ended up writing a commercial for Suntran, the local bus company in Tucson, was like one of my first okay. little checks after I finished school because I was trying to become a songwriter and a record producer. Right. But I, I got a job writing that jingle. Then I started writing other jingles for other companies in Tucson and then Phoenix and then started writing some national commercials, Coca-Cola and Mattel Toys and some other companies like that. And that's how I started making money after yeah. you know, being at U of A and still living in Tucson, trying to generate enough income to move to L.A. to try and be a songwriter and a producer. And so really my songwriting start began in Tucson, writing jingles for, you know, Breakmasters and all the different local Tucson companies. Then I ultimately uh, wrote some songs that got heard by people in Los Angeles. And that's right. how I got back to L.A. Was there anybody that you've worked with over the years that you like you stepped in there and you're like, I'm in the same room as 
Michael Jackson or I'm in the same room. Did you ever have one of those type of moments? Pretty much every artist that I worked with at some point in my career was like blew my mind. You know, Aretha Franklin or even some of the newer artists, Beyonce and Justin Bieber, people like that. They're just so talented and they're so right. amazing. But the ones that really affected me were the ones that I grew up listening to their music. You know, like yeah. you said, Michael Jackson or Donna Summers or Patty, Patty LaBelle or Whitney right. or something like that. But the thing that benefited me was my sports background and yeah. the times I'd spent playing with my teammates and learning from Coach Olsen and learning from my teammates. So when I was making music, it was never about me or about how exciting the moment was. It was about getting results. And so right. I think I differentiated myself with a lot of those artists because I wasn't I wasn't coming in like, oh, my gosh, look what I'm doing. This is amazing. I had done cool things. I had been to the final. I had played with Sean Elliott and Steve Kerr and for Lute Olsen. So I was I was confident, but I was also very humble. And I knew how to interact with people because of my experience on, on the Wildcats. And so to me, it was really a collaboration. So when I would go in the studio with Aretha, we would talk about what she wanted to accomplish. It was almost like I would step back and turn into like Coach Olsen. You know, I said, okay, <laughs> yeah, well, right? do here? let's plan this out. And, and and I think that really benefited me in my career and how I interacted with a lot of those talented people, those divas. And um, a lot of it came from, from basketball and from Coach Olsen. All right, so let's talk about the Grammys. This is the coolest thing ever because you're essentially the head of the Grammys now. I mean, that yeah. you're, I mean that that's what you so when you take over, what was your, you know, what what was your mission? What was your goal? Because I know, you know, it's a it's a different gig. What was your mission? Well, as we've talked about, I've been making music and and writing and producing for a long time since I finished playing basketball. And it's been an amazing career and I've had a lot of incredible opportunities as you said work with great artists and write great songs and make great records <clears throat> so at a certain point i really wanted to make sure that i was giving back and i was helping kind of the next generation of people that were going to come into this industry and so i ran for the board of trustees for the recording academy which is the, the organization that puts on the grammy so i was elected on the board then i was elected as chair of the board and then we had a falling out with our ceo at the time and the board asked me to step in on an interim basis, which I did, thinking, okay, I need to get this organization through right. a certain point, a couple of stumbling blocks. And then when they got through it, they had done a search for a new CEO. They just ultimately asked me if I would stay. They wanted to hire me as the, as the official CEO. And I didn't really want to do it because I was still making so much music and I was producing films and records. And, and ultimately, we got to the point where I agreed to do it uh, for a few years. And they agreed to let me continue to make music, which I think is cool to have a CEO right. of an organization that's also still in the studio every day, which is very unique. Uh, but my mission to your question was to really use music to do good. And that's what the Academy's done through its 64 year history, but right. it's kind of maybe gotten so caught up in the awards and, and the nominations and the trophies, which are still a huge part of the Recording Academy. But what I wanted to do was make sure we refocused on on giving back to the industry, uplifting the, the music community, showcasing the incredible work that the music community does for the world, really. So using music and the power of the platform of the Recording Academy to, to make a change, to make a difference, that's really my mission. Okay, Harvey, first of all, I can't thank you enough for popping on here. One thing I wanted to ask you though, when you, you're, you look back at your time at the U of A, playing for Coach Olsen, playing with all those special guys, how has that impacted you going forward in life? It's literally contributed to everything that I've ever done in my entire life, whether that's my relationship, my kids, my family, 
met my wife and had my kids through the relationships that I made at U of A. Uh, all my best friends are people that I met from that team. Everything I've learned in business and how to be a productive member of society, I learned while being on that team from those coaches, uh, from our athletic director, Cedric Dempsey, to you know some of my teachers. And then I've just really become aware of what the potential is. You know, the thing when you come to Arizona, when I came to Arizona, you're coming in as, you know, I was leading the, the state in scoring. I was, you know, um, nominated. You could put the ball in the hoop. Yeah, I could. And I'd gotten all the accolades. And, right. and Coach Olson, Steve, Sean, Matt Muehlbach, Kenny Loft, those guys showed me that as good as you think you are, as much as you think you've done, there's more you can do and there's always a, a next level. And Coach Olson used to push me so hard. I, I was like, I, I think this is all that I've got. I think this right. is the best that I can do. And he, right. he was like, nope, he knows there's more in you. And those other players inspired me. I used to go by study tables at nine o'clock at night after dinner. And I'd look at Mikhail and I'd see Steve shooting, shooting hours. And I'd stand at the bottom of the door where the tunnel was and I'd watch him. I'd be like, this guy's the best shooter in the country. And he's still right. out there shooting for hours. And he wouldn't miss for about 30 minutes at a time, by the way. But those are the kind of things that informed my entire life. So now when I make music, I'm like, okay, how can we be better? When I'm working with somebody, how can we push further? How can we do even more good work? And, and it all comes from my time with U of A. And also, last thing I'll say is my relationships. You know, the guys that you sh showed in that video, I just saw Judd yesterday. I talked to Matt Muehlbach all the time. I talked to Steve. You know, those are my best friends. We don't see each other all the time, but those are people that I've had common experiences with and we've grown together from the time we're 17 to now. I won't say what age we are, but we've grown <laughs> over the years. And so everything I've done, everything I've had, I've gotten because of the Arizona basketball. And the last thing I will say, even though I said that before, is something about being on that group of guys, and you called them, Mike, you said it was a special group. Something yeah. about that group makes me, I don't know if this is, the, is common for everyone on the team, but for me, when I'm in my daily living, I'm thinking, am I going to make Coach Olson proud? Am I going to make those guys on my team proud? Everything. That's how I treat people, how I work, the accomplishments, things that I, I set my goals towards. I think, what are the guys going to think? What is Coach going to think? Even though Coach isn't here anymore, I know he's watching us. And up until the last minute when I spoke to him, he used to tell us, and he told me how much he loved me and how proud he was of me. And those are the things that you, you can never replace. And that's what I got from Arizona basketball. And you got to look at it too. I mean, what other what other school do you have this kind of impact just in the media business? I mean, you look at you can't turn on ESPN without seeing a Richard Jefferson or a Channing Frye, or you got Tom Tolbert doing your th his thing, you doing your thing. Um, it really is remarkable how many guys are dispersed just in the commentating slash entertainment business itself. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why there's such a such a concentration around entertainment, but. I think the common denominator is the culture and Coach Olson and what he created and what he instilled in all of us. Right. I feel like we could do great things in life. And I think if you look back, there's a propensity for most of us to have really pushed ourselves and tried to accomplish something unique and, and special. Harvey, again, can't thank you enough, my man. This means the world to me, you coming on here. It really does, my man. So good to be here. Thanks. Anytime. Let's do it again. Yeah, for sure. He's Harvey Mason Jr. All right, Harvey. I know you got a real job. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Wow. Um, like I said, that's one of the first times I've done a lot of interviews. That's one of the first times that I've actually been 
somewhat nervous going into one, but obviously Harvey, Harvey, Harvey Mason's the man that was, uh, well, I want to talk a little bit about that 87, 88 team there in just a second. But again, the DraftKings Sportsbook app, got to pay the bills here. Code word PHNX, put down five bucks, get $150 in free plays. As long as these teams score in these games, or excuse me, as long as these teams are even played, you get $150 in free plays, 21 and up. Arizona only got a gambling problem called 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Four games yesterday, four games uh, coming up today or three. This is the place you want to be. The DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX. All right, 87-88 is what makes Arizona basketball, in my opinion. Now, Arizona was going to get to where they were going to get to just because Lute Olsen was that great. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But that was the breakthrough, and that was what was so cool being able to talk with Harvey Mason because, sure, Arizona had had some good teams. Two years previously, you had a team that went one of the best teams in the country. Steve Kerr then gets hurt the following season. Steve Kerr's out. Then you've got 87-88. Steve Kerr's coming back. All kinds of questions, you know, because this is before guys actually had to deal with, you know, real injuries, real serious knee injuries. Steve Kerr comes back. And then how is that going to mesh with Sean Elliott, who is coming off a junior year where he's a certified star at that point? Then you got Tom Tolbert up front. You got Anthony Cook, both good players. But you kind of wonder at the time, you know, will they be able to be that that next level type big? And they were able to do all of that in spades. And what I always tell people, don't just look at the 35 and three record right there. Look at the absolute destruction of these teams that were in their path. And I brought up the Elite Eight game against North Carolina for a reason. This is a team, North Carolina, where you've got J.R. Reed. It's a, it's a good North Carolina team. And Arizona goes in there and basically pushes them around. Final score is 70-52. to 52. And walking away from that game thinking, wow, is this team ever even going to lose going forward here? I mean, that's how good this team was right there. Now, granted, you go against Oklahoma, but people got to remember, too, something about Oklahoma. Yes, everybody talks about Steve having the 3-for-15 game, but that was also a really, really good Oklahoma team where you've got guys like a, where you've got guys like a Stacey King. You've got guys like a Mookie Blaylock. These, that team had three or four pros as well that were going to be able to, you know, hang with Arizona. So again, it's not like Arizona goes in there and loses to this, you know, this team that they had no business losing to. They were probably better, but Oklahoma was really good. So there's a little bit of a, um, a misnomer there. Then you go to 88-89. And this is where, I don't care what anybody says. Sean Elliott should have won both national players of the year, not just the Wooden Award, because he was better than Danny Ferry. I don't even know that you would find a lot of people that would say that Danny Ferry was better than Sean Elliott, but either way, that team goes on to destroy teams. It's an unfortunate game against uh, UNLV, the Sweet 16. Anderson Hunt kind of pushes off Kenny Lofton a little bit, and the rest is history, makes the shot. But those are the two teams that formed the absolute basis. And again, I don't want to dismiss anything that Pete Williams or Eddie Smith did back in the mid-80s because they were obviously highly instrumental in what happened there. But it was those two teams, 87-88, 88-89, where Arizona never looked back. And I talk about this all the time. I believe that from about 88 
to about 2003, Arizona basketball, by any metric, was one of the top five programs in all of college basketball. Whether you're looking at wins, whether you're looking at Final Fours, whether you're looking at championships, runners-up, pros, Arizona crosses off every box, and it's because of teams like that. But it's also because of guys like Harvey Mason. Because not everybody can be Sean Elliott. Not everybody can be Steve Kerr. You've got to have other guys in there who are talented, but also fit into a role. You mentioned Judd Bushler. You mentioned Matt Muehlbach. You mentioned Craig McMillan. These were all very good players. I mean, heck, Judd Bushler played in the league 10 years, but they all knew that they had to conform and fit into a spot. And that's where they were able to do that. And that's where they were able to do that in spades. And that's why that 88 will always be the most beloved team in school history. Okay. Like I said, I was <laughs> glad. Like I said, very few times that I got nervous. This is one of, this was one of those times. And Harvey was obviously amazing. All right. One thing though, that you don't need to be nervous about the DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX, put in five bucks on any of the games and you get $150 in free plays. Got to be a new customer, though. This isn't something where you can just keep going back and saying, I'm just going to keep doing this. Got to be a new customer. And you, once you're a new customer, you're probably going to stay with DraftKings Sportsbook app, code word PHNX, because of all the great things that it's got going for it right there. It's been around. It's not going anywhere. They got the best deals. They got the best props. As somebody that's always looking at deals, always looking at props, I can speak to that DraftKings Sportsbook app. All right, again. Want to really thank Harvey Mason Jr. for hopping on here. Jacob Franklin behind the scenes. Again, always the best. Um, getting up early to help me out here. But again, everybody that hopped in here, KB Thiel, TJ, Saul, uh, Tina, you're all the best. I'll be back with you tomorrow. We're going to be live streaming with uh, Brad at 1230. But again, for uh, everybody here, thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. Mm -hmm.